0: to Tales of Panem, Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. So now that we've finished Catching Fire, this week's episode is going to be about the Catching Fire movie. And my movie episodes have a specific format since I'm covering the entire movie in one episode. For those who haven't listened to my first one... I'm going to start with some fun trivia about some of the other actors who were considered for some of the leading roles in the film, and then I'll get into the actual breakdown. I've split the movie up into five sections, and for each section I'll give a quick rundown of what happens, discuss any major book-to-movie differences, talk about anything else noteworthy within that section, and then give some fun facts about the actors, the filming process, etc. Finally, at the end of the episode, I'm going to talk briefly about the deleted scenes from the movie. So obviously our two big new characters for this film are Finnick O'Dare and Joanna Mason. As I'm sure we all know, Finnick O'Dare is played by Sam Claflin and he is perfect for the role. He is truly perfect for the role. Um, But before he was cast, there were actually some other actors considered. Um, And just to name a few of the actors who got kind of to like the, I guess, like final round of auditions, um, Taylor Kitt, which... Me personally, I would have gone insane if he'd been cast. I don't know if it would have been in a good way or a bad way. Um, Army Hammer and Garrett Headland, So interesting, but we ended up with Sam Claflin, which is a huge win. Um, For Joanna Mason, we have Jenna Malone playing her, who, side note, I am literally obsessed with and in love with. She is everything to me, and I think she also is perfect as Joanna Mason um but also in the running for the role was zoe agaliki um but also kristen bell was like a big fan of the books so she was like actively trying to get the role of joanna mason uh lindsay lohan also expressed interest in the role but we got jenna malone again huge win i cannot even imagine anyone else playing joanna mason half as well as her and that's not a diss to other actors i just think that she literally nailed it Um, so let's get into the movie. If you didn't listen to my first film episode for the Hunger Games film, I did go into some of the other actors who were considered for the roles, like Katniss, Peta, Gale, Haymitch. Very funny to me personally. So if you haven't listened to that episode and are curious, you can go check it out. Let's get into the movie. So the first, each section is about 30 minutes, obviously, because there's five. Math. Um... (laughs) So the first section is basically the first 30 minutes of the film, which includes the opening of the film where Katniss is hunting with Gale, um, her visit from Snow where he like threatens her and her family, and then the entirety of the victory tour. So that's the train ride, um, all the stuff in District 11, all the rest of the districts, the party at Snow's mansion, and then finally we end with like Katniss learning about the uprising in District 8, um, which right off the bat with some of our book-to-movie changes. And as usual, I'm not gonna do. I'm not going to talk about every single one because there's a lot because it's a change of medium, obviously. Um, And as usual, again, like some are good, some are bad, whatever. But I'm just going to kind of go over either like major ones or ones that I feel particularly strongly about. So in the book, obviously Katniss learns about the uprising in District 8 because she's in Madge Undersea, aka Mayor Undersea's house. And she like, happens to be in his study and sees it on his like private tv in the movie obviously madge undersea is not even a character so she has no reason to be in the mayor's house so the way that she learns about the uprising is she like sees it in the control room on the train back from the victory tour and again like i said madge is just fully not a character in the movie so anything that would have been involving her has to be either changed or cut um which i talked about more in the first movie so i'm not gonna like get back into it I miss her but you know sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do and that means cutting characters um another change in the book katniss tells haymitch about like snow coming to visit her and his whole warning before the tour and then they both like tell peta about it after what happens in district 11 but in the movie she tells both of them at the same time um again which is just for like timing's sake so you don't have to have another scene in there um Me, personally, I like it when she tells Hamish in advance, um, because it gives us more Hamish and Katniss one-on-one interaction, which you know I love, but all in all, like, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, another thing that gets cut out for the movie is the victors don't have their, like, talents, which is a thing in the book that, like, each victor of the Hunger Games has, like, a, like, talent that they pursue and, like, share with the country, um, so for Pita's, it's his paintings, and for Katniss, it's her quote-unquote clothing design that she doesn't actually do. Cinna kind of does it for her. Um, and she like passes the her talent. But the big omission here obviously is like Pita's paintings of the hunger games that he like shares with Katniss are not a thing in the movie. Um, also the scene at Snow's Mansion where she meets Plutarch for the first time they cut out the part where he, like, shows her his watch with the Mockingjay symbol on it, which I'm, like, again, I don't personally have, like, insider knowledge of why each particular decision was made and why things were cut and why they weren't, but this one kind of, I think they should have left in because, one, it's not, like, a timing thing, like, it's literally just he shows it to her, it's, like, a split second, and, one, it sets up Plutarch, like, being on their side, not that you know right off the bat that he's helping them, but, like, you have some idea that he's going to be important. Whereas when they meet in the movie, it's like, yeah, this is what we're going to want to pay attention to. But like, it doesn't give you that same of like, oh, is he actually helping her out? And again, with the, like it being the watch to kind of tip her off about the arena that they're using for the quarter quell, but you know, it's fine. (laughs) Um, And then also something that was added for the film, obviously is the scenes between like, Snow and Plutarch, that obviously couldn't have been in the book. It's very similar to the scenes with Snow and Seneca Crane in the first movie, because, like, we obviously can't get those scenes in the book because it's outside of Katniss's perspective. But I like that they add scenes like that for the movies because we get to see a little bit more of, like, what's going on in the world outside of, like, just what Katniss is experiencing. And then my trivia for this section, which is always one of my favorite things to do research on, because I, I will admit that I do know a lot of this stuff already, just because of how long I've been a fan, but I always do end up learning new things that are either very funny or very interesting, or both. One that I personally find very interesting as someone who is currently pursuing costume design as a career, like I'm studying in college right now, if you didn't know, now you know. Um, So sometimes a lot of my trivia are costume related because I have a lot of thoughts about it and I think it's cool. But most of the dresses that Elizabeth Banks, as Effie obviously wears in this movie, were created by fashion designer Sarah Burton for the famous fashion line Alexander McQueen. So they're like actual designer dresses that she sort of gave to Trish Somerville to use in this film. Um, And again, those are like most of Effie's, like obviously the butterfly one, which is so iconic. Um, And also like the one that she's wearing in her portrait but I personally think that's very cool. And I have other stuff to say about the costumes in this film, but that's a little later. Um, also semi-costume related is that when Katniss and Peter, when, they're, when they were filming the proposal scene between Katniss and Peter, Josh Hutcherson actually split his pants. Um, there's a lot of other funny stories about when that scene was being filmed and, like, how it ended up being in the movie. Because, like, you can't hear what they're saying so he's basically kind of just saying like whatever cuz they knew they weren't going to actually like hear what he was saying um but yeah that did happen i think it's very funny um and also there were almost 350 wigs used throughout the entire film and there were 40 hairstylists and 20 cosmetology students on set as interns to like deal with all of the hair and makeup demands of the film which is crazy um but also super cool because it obviously looks amazing so it really paid off moving on to the next scene um which again is like 30 minutes to an hour of the film so this this section starts with when they return home from the victory tour so this is when katniss like pulls gail into the woods and tells him that they need to run away um and then obviously the arrival of the additional peacekeepers commander thread all those people and the sort of crackdown in district 12 and which brings us obviously obviously to like gale's whipping and the whole recovery process from that is all in this section and then we get to the announcement of the Quarter Quell, and then my favorite scene of, um as we all know <laughs> which is when katniss goes to haymitch after the quarter Quell announcement and it's like we need to save pita that scene it's so good in the movie too like i talked about how it's literally my favorite scene when we were at that part in the book but i think that it they translated it so well and a lot of that obviously is due to the fact that like woody harrelson is hey mitch is literally everything to me but yeah so we have that scene love it so much um and then the reaping for the quell where katniss and pita well katniss gets picked PETA volunteers we all know this and then they go to the Capitol, we have the tribute parade, and then we end this section with the iconic elevator scene in which they meet Joanna Mason, and I have the most fun trivia about that, but we'll get there. But first, let's start with book-to-movie changes. So we obviously stop Katniss asking Gail to leave with her, to which he basically is like, no. Um, but in the book, she also does get to ask Hamage and Peeta to leave with her or like tell them tells them of her plan to run away and that they should come with her. Those that doesn't happen in the movie. Also, we don't have Darius in the movie. Darius is the peacekeeper from district 12 who's like friends with Katniss and Gale and obviously in the book he tries to like intervene at Gale's whipping and then gets turned into an avox who's like there at the Capitol when Katniss and Peeta show up as tributes again but he just isn't around in the movies, which is sort of, like, the the, the Avoxes that they do have, because obviously they have Lavinia, who's the girl that Katniss recognized in the first book, um, who's not, I think she's, like, technically there in the movie, like, you could say that the AVOX, one of the Avoxes that's there is her, but, like, it doesn't get addressed, and then same thing with, like, Darius doesn't even exist as a character in the movies, Um, Also, not in the movie is Bonnie and Twill, the two women that Katniss meets outside of District 12, who are running away from District 8 to go to District 13. And we literally never see them again in the books after that. Um, So it was just that one scene, but it's cut. And then same thing with, like, the whole Katniss goes out into the woods and then the fence gets turned back on. Like, none of that happens. And... personal tragedy to me is that they don't watch Haymitch's Hunger Games on the train. Look, I get it, okay? It would have been a kind of a long scene because they watch, like, his interview and then, like, most of the events of the game, they would have had to really, like, condense it and cram it in there. They also would have had to, like, cast people to play, like, young Haymitch. Okay, here's a quick interlude. A lot of people talk about how they want a like Hamish prequel novel and that was like the big debate when ballad was announced as a president snow prequel people were like we want Hamish," which you would think that me being like the Hamish fan of all time would want that and i'm not saying that i don't like it like if suzanne collins released a Hamish prequel novel you know i would eat it up but there are a few things one we already know what happened okay and like with some detail too we know that he went to his games, and he won, and there were twice as many tributes, and his whole alliance with Maisley Donner, we know how he won, we know what happened afterwards. Like, we kind of already know all of the events of his life. not saying that it wouldn't still be interesting to, like, read a book about it, but, like, I don't think that it was as, quote-unquote, necessary as, like, a snow prequel. And also, I like that Ballad is... Obviously very feels very different in tone than the other novels. And I really like that actually. I was worried about it at first when because I was like, is this just gonna be where they're like, oh Snow is like, yeah, he's a bad dude, but like look what all this stuff that happened to him in his past. Like I was worried that it was kind kind of gonna be that, or that I was gonna be forced to like feel bad for him and I'm not gonna do that. Um, but it wasn't, which I really liked. Anyway, that's not my point though. My point is. Yeah, I would read a Hamage prequel novel but also getting back to what I was talking about with this scene being cut if they had written if, if Susan Collins had written a Hamage prequel novel that got adapted into a movie they, they would have had to cast someone as a younger Hamish Abernathy and like I would not have been able to just sit back and be like yeah I'm fine with whoever they cast because what if they cast someone who like wasn't good in the role you know what I mean like do you think that I would have been able to like handle that personally like, if they had cast someone as President Snow- as young President Snow, Coriolanus himself, and it was, like, terrible casting. They didn't. Tom Blythe, I'm obsessed with you. I think that he's going to be incredible. But I wouldn't have been like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me that they cast some, they cast young Coriolanus Snow poorly. But if they cast a young Hamish Abernathy poorly, um, I would have lost it. And that applies here because if they had shown his games in the movie, they would have had to cast someone to play his younger self. And like, what if they did a bad job? Anyway, long story short, they don't watch his games in the movie. Now for the trivia. (laughs) So the scene where Joanna strips in the elevator in front of everyone, iconic of her, love her so much. Jenna Malone actually has talked about how she was like super excited to film this scene. Um, as she should. I'm, again, I'm so obsessed with her. Um, but basically the scene was filmed in a hotel elevator that was actually all glass. Um, and the hotel was not like closed for their production. So anyone could like see in and she fully didn't have any clothes on, um, in this elevator that literally anyone could see in. And at one point, like a hotel employee or someone like walked into the elevator while she was fully didn't have clothes on and was like, hmm okay so interesting and she basically just kind of like labbed it off and then they kept going and i'm like what it it's so it's so iconic of her first of all of jenna malone but also like literally just imagine that scenario (laughs) um so yeah i think that's one of the funniest behind the scenes stories that i've ever heard about any of these films um and also Sam Claflin did eat like an entire box of sugar cubes during the time where they were filming the scene where he like introduces himself to Katniss because he would eat multiple every take and they did a bunch of takes so he basically ate like an entire box which is just fun. Okay moving on to the next section which is the next half hour um which starts off with all the training scenes and then leading up obviously their private sessions with the game makers and then the tribute interviews, um, and then Katniss and Peta say their goodbyes to hey Mitch and Effie. Very sad. We have Cinna's death, also very sad. Or I guess not his death, but where he gets like taken away, and you know he's gonna die. So basically his death. The start of the actual games, which is when Katniss forms her alliance with Finnick and Mags, and then Peta hitting the forest field and being brought back to life taking us all the way up to the start of the first night in the arena. So just in general, the like training scenes are kind of shortened. There's less of the sort of like bonding with the other victors that happens in the book, which is all obviously just for like time's sake. We don't really have time for all of that. We also don't get Katniss and Pito's training scores because they both do score perfect 12s, which Hamish says it's like the game makers way of getting everyone to target them first as like punishment for what they did in their private sessions. Also, very sad they cut out all of the like rooftop scenes with Katniss and Peeta all the like picnic scenes (sighs) it's fine I'm not still mad about it I am a little bit um (laughs) but you know it's okay it's fine and then also a smaller thing but Katniss and Peeta do get to say goodbye to Effie in person which they don't get to do in the book because she basically gets sent home so they only get to say goodbye to Haymitch and their stylist and they tell Haymitch to like say bye to Effie for them but in the movie, they could say goodbye to her personally, which I like, because I do love that V. Um, anyway, also, this is where I want to talk a little bit more about the costumes, because obviously the tribute interview looks are incredible. Like, I mean, obviously the, the wedding dress into the jay gown moment is amazing, perfectly executed. I talked with the last movie about how I didn't really love the way they executed Katniss's interview dress I thought the like flames looked cool but the dress itself was just eh. um (laughs) sorry for being such a hater but it's just true but this one was perfect and I will say this movie definitely like hands down has the best costumes of all four movies like that's not even a debate I think that yeah like I said with Hunger Games some of the costumes were good some of them didn't really hit for me um and then Mockingjay, I feel like the costumes were really good, but the only thing is... Well, here's where I'm going with this, is that Trish Somerville, who did the costumes for Catching Fire, is returning to do the costumes for a Ballad, or did do the costume for Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, um, which is a huge win, because like I said, I think that the costumes for Catching Fire are the best, and even like... And she only did Catching Fire. She didn't do any of the other movies. The thing with Mockingjay is that the costumes were really good, but they're all very military obviously because like that's what most of that movie is and so while I think they were really good for for those two movies for both parts of Mockingjay in terms of how they would translate into ballad I think that Trish Somerville is the best choice because the costumes for Catching Fire could translate really well like that style could translate really, really well to ballad and obviously it's different because we're going back 65 years the style is going to be very different like on a personal level, and like it's all capital people or mostly capital people, there is some different people. Anyway, the beside the point. My point is, I think that she is the best possible choice to do that movie. And I literally got so excited when they announced that she was going to come back and do the costumes. So we really won with that one. Also, side note, we know how I feel about the. If it weren't for the baby scene, I think we all are obsessed with that scene. um In my personal experience, everyone still thinks about it on the daily. Josh Hutcherson literally killed it. Literally killed it. Also, he has the iconic little like nod to Haymitch after he does it. Ooh, love it. It's so good. Anyway, moving on to trivia. Um, this one's just kind of cool. Is that when Katniss does the like archery kind of simulator thing with like the little yellow blocky people who are <laughs> attacking her? Um, where she like shows off her archery skills to everyone. The like fake people that she's shooting are meant to sort of resemble like the other victors so like one has spears like brutus does one has a trident like finnick one throws like an axe at her like joanna would do so it was like specifically tailored to be like fit the people that you're facing off against which is just cool and interesting also (laughs) um so a lot of the scenes for catching fire obviously like there's a lot of water around and francis lawrence said that lynn cohen who plays mags didn't have to go into the water just for like health reasons and then i think like literally the first scene that they were filming sam claflin like tripped and dropped her into the water (laughs) which like everyone was fine she thought it was funny um half of the like trivia for this one is just behind the scenes stories that are funny which like i love that moving along to the next section um we pick up on the first night in the arena. They get the spile from Haymitch as their sponsor gift, which allows them to get water. And then we have everything with the fog and Mags dying. The monkeys are after that. And then the death of the female Morphling, who, like, sacrificed herself to save Peta. And then this is when they meet up with the rest of their little group. So when they run into, like, Beatty, Wiris, and Joanna. And that's when Wiris kind of helps Katniss figure out that, like, the arena is laid out like a clock. Then we have the Careers attacking them at the Cornucopia, which is when White Iris dies. Um, and they also kill Cashmere and Gloss from District 1. And then after that is the Jabberjays, And then we get to, like, Beatty's whole plan where he explains the plan to them and they kind of start to get on board with it. And then obviously ending with the beach scene. Amazing. I only have one book to movie change written down that I wanted to talk about and it's so minor. Um... But in terms of the, like, slices of the arena, they don't have... Well, they don't have the, the like, insects or whatever are in um, 11 to 12. Like, right next to lightning that they just hear them. Terrifying. Because I personally am, like, to hate bugs so much. Like, one of my least favorite things ever. Um, so that would be nightmarish to me, personally. And there's also no... None of, quote-unquote, the beast. Which is probably for the best that that thing is scary and we don't even know anything about it so let's just leave that in the book um my personal note on this section is that the beach scene was flawlessly executed well done to everyone involved because again it's such an iconic scene that like we cannot mess it up we can't mess this one up it's so important to everyone me specifically that we don't mess this one up um and then my behind the scenes fun fact slash trivia for this section it's not really specific to this section i just had to put it somewhere Is that Jennifer Lawrence actually like went partially deaf in one ear while they were filming because she like fell into a pool of jets or something and like couldn't hear out of one ear for like a solid few days? (sighs) It's so, so many injuries on the set of this film. Nothing like severe, luckily, but like, oh my gosh, reading the stories, I'm like, y'all are crazy for this one. Anyway, let's move on to the last section. Which obviously takes us to the end of the film. Um, this has all the lightning tree stuff, all of like the careers from District 2 attacking them. And then when Katniss destroys the force field and is picked up by the rebels. And this when we get their whole like plan reveal, where we also learn that PETA and Joanna have been taken to District 13, or not District 13, the Capitol, Hello. <laughs> the opposite of District 13, actually. Katniss and Finnick get taken to District 13. Well, anyway, um, and also the film ends with Katniss learning from Gale that District 12 has been destroyed. Book-to-movie changes. We don't learn that Annie has been taken to the Capitol until Mockingjay in the movies, but in the book, Finnick tells Katniss at the end of Catching Fire. Um, And then also during all the lightning tree chaos in the book, Katniss points her arrow at Enobaria before deciding to shoot the voice field, but in the movie, Enobaria is not there and she points the arrow at Finnick instead, which is actually kind of a big change because Finnick, like, it is not like, oh my God, she was about to kill Enobaria, like, obviously, but like with Finnick, it's a pretty big swing. Anyway, so I just think that's interesting. And then also, I'm going to be a hater again. In the book, we she just finds Beatty, like, knocked out, doesn't know what happened to him that like he could have potentially hit the force field but like why would he do that he's smarter than that but in the movie we actually see him like hit the force field which I just again like I think he's too smart to do that and so I like it better in the book where you can assume that maybe he was knocked out by one of the careers like Leanna Baria as I said a couple weeks ago but in the movie it's like no he hit the force field I'm like I don't I think he would be smart enough to know not to try to jam his spear into there before the lightning strikes um, another note is that the opening song in the end credits is atlas by Coldplay, which is one of my favorite songs ever. Um, also, a perfect choice for the credits. And also because it is the credits of this film, has like a really specific type of nostalgia to me. Like every time I listen to it, I'm like transported back to that moment where I'm watching the End of Catching Fire and like probably so. actually, okay, I remember so vividly watching the End of Catching Fire in a movie theater for the first time, and I remember, being like literally in a state of distress and then like Atlas by Coldplay starts playing um but it's also a really good song and then my last bit of trivia is that Catching Fire was the highest grossing film in the franchise as it should be because let's be honest it's the best for me I've said before and I'll say again that Mockingjay is my favorite book but like Catching Fire is literally a perfect film adaptation it's just so good Absolutely no notes. I say after I did actually just say a bunch of things that I don't like about it. But those are mostly, like, wish they left in this part of the book, which they kind of can't leave in everything. So it's really not, like, serious, like, critiques. Now moving on to my favorite segment that I do, which is where I talk about deleted scenes. And I get progressively more insane as the series progresses. I feel like I was pretty, like, calm and normal when we did The Hunger Games. Um, and it's going to get a little worse today. By the time we get to Mockingjay Part 2, it will literally be, like, unhinged. So apologies in advance. Um, and again, I'm not going to talk about every single deleted scene, just ones that I particularly like or have strong feelings about. So one scene that's, like, some dialogue that got cut from a scene that still exists is one of the Plutarch and Snow scenes, where it's the one where he's, like, after Gale's whipping where he's like if you don't control Katniss Everdeen i'm going to have to kill her but there's this bit of dialogue they cut out where snow tells Plutarch about the like jabberjay extermination order where the capital ordered all the jabberjays to be killed off because they didn't need them anymore but they did a terrible job of it um and so then they bred with mockingbirds to create mockingjays and so it's basically like a convoluted metaphor for like we need to exterminate the jay, Katniss Everdeen which I think is just like cool dialogue in general. But now after reading Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, it hits so much differently because we learn in that book that Snow like hated jays, And this was obviously long before Katniss Everdeen. This was in like the 10th Hunger Games. So 65 years earlier. And he literally hates them because they're so much harder to catch and kill than the Jays are. And so I think that like when this dialogue got cut, it's like, yeah, it's not a big deal. But now looking back and having read Ballad, I'm like, oh, I wish they would have kept that one in because it would hit so different after reading Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So I just think it's like cool dialogue. Um, also, right after this would have been the scene where Plutarch like switches out the envelopes, which I don't think really needs to be in there because it's, like heavily implied that it did happen. But it's also, like I said, a change from the book where Plutarch didn't know that the victors were going to be sent back into the arena. And so he was just trying to tip Katniss off about the arena like as a mentor but in the movies, it's kind of implied that like he knew, or he was the one who switched the envelopes. But there was actually a scene of that that got cut. Um, oh. Also, my personal favorite for this film is when Finnick teaches Katniss how to tie the noose. I don't even have the words for this one. You just have to go look it up. Just look up like, Finnick O'Dare, not tying, deleted scene, catching fire. I don't know. It's on YouTube. You can find it pretty easily. But I just think it's so, so fun. Um, so, yeah, that's all I really have to say about that one. And then finally, there was a scene on where Katniss and Peter are on the rooftop of the, like, Tribute Center. And it's after they do their, like, private session with the game makers. And he basically tells her, like, I never meant for you to see what I did. Um, and she's like, I'm glad you did it, blah, blah, blah. But she says to him, quote, I'm not going to be another piece in their games. Like, literally quoting back to him the thing that he said before the first game and I've talked about how that rooftop scene in the first games is, like, literally one of my favorite scenes ever. And so I would have loved if they'd kept this of, like, her repeating back to him, his own words, and basically showing that, like, she understands it now when she really didn't back then. Also, it's just, like, anytime we can have another, like, nice little Katniss and Peter moment, I would love to have it. <laughs> but yeah, those are my main deleted scenes I want to talk about. Anyway, that's Catching Fire, the movie. Um, as I said, literally perfect film adaptation. It's so good. Um, also my favorite movie of all time. I'm sure this is not shocking information to anyone. Um, but it's true. And yeah, also, like I said, Trish Somerville coming back to do the costumes for Ballad, literally the biggest win we could have possibly had. And I'm so excited. Not that I wasn't already excited for that film, but like now I have so much faith in the costumes and they're gonna be incredible, especially because we have Lucy Gray who wears like these. Gorgeous outfits that are kind of that are very different from anything we've seen before in the franchise, and sometimes kind of like over the top, very vibrant and colorful. And so I think it takes a very specific designer to be able to execute that in a way that doesn't look like it has to look okay. The thing is that the the Capitol style and like the sort of more like bright style of the Hunger Games, and obviously Lucy Gray is not from the Capitol, but the things she wears are very different from what the typical people of District Twelve would wear. But it's like kind of campy but it can't be too campy. like and that sounds so dumb but I think you get what I'm saying that like it does have to be a little campy yeah but not so campy that it looks tacky and bad and I think that Trish Somerville will be able to pull off her dresses like I'm specifically thinking obviously about the one she wears at the reaping that's like rainbow that I'm like I I think that that could dress could look so stupid and bad if not well designed but I think that With her designs, it's going to look good. Um, And same with, like, some of her other outfits. So I'm literally so excited to see those. When we get character posters for that, here's the thing. I think that based on the timeline of, like, marketing of the previous films, there will probably be character posters in March, which is in, like, two months if you think about it. Crazy. But, yeah, probably character posters in March if they do those, which they literally better... Um, Because I need to look at Viola Davis as Dr. Gall and like hang it up on my wall. So yeah, I hope those will be in March. And then probably the first like trailer trailer, because we have that little like teaser thing they did. But I think the first like trailer with actual footage will be in April, Um, which is also when my birthday is. So if they would like to release that on my birthday, that would be so great of them to do that for me. But yeah, once we hit like, honestly, March, but like definitely April, I'm going to be like full ballad lockdown. (laughs) Nothing else. I will not be thinking about anything else for the rest of the year. Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. I'll be starting Mockingjay next week. And for those of you reading along with me, I'll be covering chapters one through four. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening and I'll be back next week.